Hello everyone and welcome to episode 20 of the Sophos Naked Security Podcast. I'm Anna Brading and as always I'm here with Sophos expert Paul Ducklin. Hello folks. Mark and Matt are out this week so we're joined by another special Sophos expert, Greg Eden. Thanks, thanks for letting me know I'm special. <laughs> you're special you're spe- too. You're a special guest but I just said you're special. Oh, thanks. I'm sure I'll <laughs> prove that correct. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, coming up on today's show we discuss a Linux container bug, the USB OMG cable and Apple's demanding that developers use 2FA. What have you been up to this week guys? I'll start. I decided to try a lower gear on my off-road bicycle. That's very exciting. It's fantastic. So I swapped from 3817 to 3217. Always have a prime number on the rear cog. That's my recommendation. Good tip. Yeah. Uh, I also have been trying out a, new, a lower gear, but this time in my car, I've just been ragging it around in first the whole time. So I guess your mechanic loves this. He does. Because sure. you know, you're in there more Pay often now. Yeah. It's great. It's making a funny noise. <laughs> <laughs> this is all a lie, by the way. If anyone's actually, I'm not that that dense. I really. They might I, send you some tips. Okay. On how to drive. Right back to the cybersecurity chat. Duck. This week we wrote about a Linux container bug that, as you put it, could eat your server from the inside out. Before you talk about the bug, can you just explain what a container is? I'm tempted to go with the definition that Greg offered me just before we started recording, which was, <laughs> it's kind of like Tupperware, only different. <laughs> and and it's sort of that idea. In the early days of trying to make one computer do two things, you would typically rely on a thing called an emulator, which was a piece of software that completely simulated either the same or some other computer. Every aspect of the hardware was pretended into existence by software. The next layer down is a thing called virtualization, where you let the hardware do most of the work, but you kind of running, if you like, two operating systems separated from one another by some hardware barriers that make it unlikely that they'll collide. And the next layer is what's often called lightweight virtualization or containerization containers, where basically you've got one operating system, one set of system libraries, but you separate processes as though they're in their own container. The idea is they can't mess with each other too much. So it gives you much better performance, but you have to be much more careful about not making security blunders. So how bad is the bug? If you allow one of your container programs to be run at system administrator level, it should only be able to do that inside its own container with its own files. But if you do allow that, which is not recommended and is not the default, by the way, then in theory, it could actually replace the program that controls the container. What this means is basically virtualization escape. The program that you tried to put into the Tupperware container and seal it will burst out, take over your system. And that way it could steal data from other people's running processes that it's not supposed to be able to see. Or worse, could just take over the whole system and modify it. Very simply put, that's about as bad as it gets when it comes to containerization bugs. Complete system compromise. Right. And the, but there are patches out. There are. In fact, the patches came out before exploits were made public. The patches came out about a week ago. And fortunately, a working exploit was only published today. So if you haven't patched yet, you're kind of almost too late. So get on it really quickly because the less competent crooks are sure to give this a go now. 
So, I mean, the problem we've got here is two problems. One is the, the failure of the sort of the containerization guys to actually make something that stops things from inside the containers from getting out. That's what so the solution does. Sort of like have, That's like my car not driving. Or Tupperware without a lid. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but the other problem here is that people not following the principle of least privilege. Everything well, should be running the same argument that we've fought for years and years and years with Windows users, saying don't give your users local administration privilege yeah. So they're always accidentally able to do the wrong thing. And you're right. My understanding is that when you're using this Linux containerization system, the expectation and the default is that no program you run in the container should ever run as root. Yeah. It's almost as though if you've been using containers as a way of trying to get some control over programs that already have security holes in them, you're kind of putting the cart before mm. the horse, aren't you? Um, but a lot of times I find with containers is that, yeah, it just introduces a lot of security problems. You know, people are just either statically using like really old versions of libraries they keep inside the container so they think it's sort of secure. Uh, and I think a lot of people seem to look at it as a security solution, throw it in a container thinking, cool, that'll, that'll keep it safe. Whereas actually they've done nothing really to secure it. They, you know, a container doesn't inherently give you security. You can configure them to give you more security. But in general, it's a bit, you know, containers are a way of just getting better performance out of your hardware versus, you know, having a full, vir- you know, if you had a virtual machine, you had a whole copy of Linux, then another virtual machine with a whole copy of Linux. And really containerization is just so you have a single copy of Linux and then lots of little containers on that to make more efficient use of, of the resources. Yes, I agree with you. To use, to use containers as a way of retrospectively adding security to programs that weren't designed to be secure in the first place, your mileage may vary, and this is a very good example of how. So don't do that. Just one word of warning about what what to do is that many people may never have heard of containerization. They They may never have heard of software that uses it like Docker or Kubernetes, very well-known brands, if you like, with the server crowd on Linux. But if you have web services or hosted services that you're paying someone else to deliver for you, they may be using containerization. So they may be running some of your software using this system that had the bug. If you're not sure, ask them, and they ought to have patched by now. But unless you ask, you'll never know. Yep. On to our next subject. Greg, Apple's going to force developers to use 2FA. What's behind this decision? So I think we need a little bit of context and then we'll go into some depths. But effectively, Apple's got a pretty good security model uh, for its mobile devices. I'm not the world's biggest Apple fan, even though I'm sat here with a Mac. But their security (laughs) model and the security architecture of iOS is is pretty impressive. And part of that is that you can't get an app to run on an Apple device unless it's signed by a certificate from Apple. Now, what's happening is that big enterprises uh, may have an in-house app. They don't want to pop on the App Store or something. Um, there's a, then a method for you to go into the enterprise program with Apple and get them to sort of give you an enterprise certificate. Now, this whole enterprise certificate process has been abused quite a lot by people creating bogus versions of apps or creating uh, modified versions of apps and then using this enterprise program to get hold of a certificate to sign an app. And instead of submitting it to the App Store to get reviewed, they'll then just publish it on a website with a plist file that will help. When you then tap it on that web page, it will just pop up on your phone saying, do you want to install this app? Yeah. So it's kind of a process that was designed for big companies that didn't want to have to push their apps through the App Store. But the other problem then is that password reuse and so on 
is that if there's a big data breach, people are trying these passwords out and they're finding, you know, Apple developer accounts where they can go in yeah. and steal someone else's certificate. So putting two-factor authentication on this is just meaning that there's going to be less of these code signing certificates kicking around there that have been stolen. And hopefully in turn, that'll have a, a pretty positive impact on bogus apps, dangerous apps, and so on that end up uh, sort of being out there for iPhones. So would you suggest that requiring 2FA might let Apple ban devices or accounts a bit more strongly. It's very true. I mean, yeah, it does mean that, uh, for instance, a stolen certificate couldn't be shared by lots of people, right? Because only one of them could have the 2FA device. I guess this goes to show, ultimately, apps should only come from the App Store and you shouldn't be installing anything that's not from the App Store. You know, this is stuff that's not being reviewed at all. And if it's similar to the original app or modified from it, then the modifications are there almost certainly because they wouldn't be allowed in the app store because they are insecure. It's not whether you care about what's on your phone. It's also about other people in the ecosystem. Like if it's a game cheat that messes with the game, that's not really fair on all the other people, even if it's down to a bug rather than a a deliberate misfeature. Um, So should more companies be insisting on 2FA, do you think? Something needs to change, you know, mm. and the fact that is that people kick and scream about any kind of change. People don't want to have to do something more complex than usernames and passwords. But as we're seeing now with credential stuffing, where breached usernames and passwords are being used to automatically test if they work on any website. And, um, you know, we know that the username and password is kind of broken mm. and there's no coming back from that. There's a bit of a dilemma there, isn't there? The first company that says, right, this is going to be mandatory for everybody is going to have a revolt on their hands. Um, but yet, if nobody does anything, then you get a situation like we spoke about a couple of weeks ago about this guy, he got his nest hacked because he had his, his cat's name as his password or something. And now he want, expects Google to give him $4,000 back for 16 cameras he bought because they forgot to tell him about 2FA and he didn't think to learn about it by himself. Well, that's it, isn't it? Because it is still the separate thing. 2FA is this other thing that some people use, some people don't. Maybe something has to give, but sure. I don't know what it is. Uh, I think well, hopefully when we see like operating systems really shift to some kind of multi-authentic- uh, multi-factor authentication method, that's going to be the big change, right? Is that, yes, you can do it on this one website, but that doesn't change all the other websites. But the moment your laptop, I mean, let's say a Microsoft or an Apple or even some of the mainstream Linux distros went down the route of there is no more of this insecure username and password. We know that the only real way to protect yourself against the, the floor of that scenario that someone can steal your knowledge is that they then have to steal something else, something that you have uh, or something that you are in addition to the thing that you know. For all that passwords get a bad name, if you have a password manager, it's not that hard. The password manager can pick a fairly decent password. Your biggest problem is going to be websites that insist that, oh, you can't have more than 10 characters. Why? Well, the idea of a password manager as well is to help you not reuse passwords and, ha- and exist in a world where every single password is and random and unique. Yeah. And don't put the right password yeah. into the wrong side. Because that way, because there is still that expectation of, do you know what? It's probably still going to get stolen. But if someone steals it, they only steal the, the password that can only be used in this one place. It's about like mitigating uh, the kind of impact of, of a breach versus if you use the same password everywhere, mm. you're kind of stuffed. Um, but the benefit is that Just if a it... pun. <laughs> but um, but but the other thing is like if you you know even if there's a big data breach someone can't steal your phone right well they can, okay they can but to have been the hackers that did a massive data breach and to steal my personal phone as part of you know for at, the, the, same MFA, at mm. the same time is just such a low probability even for a targeted attacker that's going to be quite difficult but to get everyone across the line it's going to be a big ask isn't it absolutely especially when we've gone the opposite direction in recent years 
you know, instead of trying to push people into more secure authentication methods, like a password, right? The benefit of a password is that I can change it. It's not something that I am. I'm, I'm not very fond of authentication that uses things that I am because if someone else gets hold of that, I can't change it. Like if we're using a DNA sample, once someone gets a sample of my DNA, I can't change my genetic makeup. It, I mean, apart from standing near a nuclear reactor, but I won't last long afterwards. But you know, that there's a real problem with, with like fingerprint authentications. I mean, I don't remember the last time I wrote down my password when I picked up a glass of water to have a drink. Yeah, fingerprint authentication, you're writing your password all over these things. So what we've done is instead of going down the route of multi-factor authentication and more secure authentication methods, we're now using fingerprints for logging into phones and fingerprint scans logging into laptops, which are literally things that I can't change. And if I, that gets breached or stolen, then I, I'm, I'm stuffed. Well, it's all going to face yeah. it, isn't it? Yeah. Latest yeah. generation iPhones, there's no fingerprint scanner anymore. That's great. You know, like, talk, I can get like a silicon face mask or someone and log into their phone. You can try it on mine if you want. I don't have as gorgeous a face as yours. Oh, great. That's it. Stop but, uh, it. That wasn't, wait, that wasn't a joke. I just did a drum roll. I'm really sorry. Oh. Anyway, yeah, you undermined, you undermined I did, your smoothness there. Yeah, I was yeah, just yeah. thinking, that's, this is career limiting. This is how I get done for sexual <laughs> yeah, harassment. Exactly. Leave me alone. Oh, I see. You were trying, that, was a, that was a mitigation attempt. Exactly. I'm poorly done. Yeah, I know. Rude. Yeah, I think I just seg faulted and I'm just, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> I don't know how to feel can't think of a, can't, think of a, can't think of a punny comeback. From 2FA to the USB OMG cable, Duck, this is about the USB cable that was rigged to allow remote attacks via Wi-Fi. How does that work? Well, as I understand it, you know, people have got sceptical about plugging in other people's USB devices, but that scepticism probably doesn't go all the way to cables. They think, oh, I need to plug in my phone. Well, I'm not going to plug my phone into your laptop because goodness knows what you'll do. But, oh, look, here's a here's a convenient-looking Apple cable. Mm. When you envisage a cable in your mind, you think, well, you plug it in one end and there are these wires and four wires go through the cable and out the other end, not in this one. The wires go into a little device inside, which is some extra stuff. So it looks like a cable, but it's not. Mm-hmm. What you're plugging in is a dongle. And I think the is it the the guy's handle is MG, so he decided to call the cable OMG because see what he did there. Apparently, that's what passes for wit. In the, uh, <laughs> I mean, in the at least uh, you know after the end of this, where he's not allowed to go near computers, at least he's got a cracking job in marketing ahead of him. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Should we be worried about this? Well, I guess yes and no. It's easy enough to make sure you've always got one of your own cables with you. And you can go to the shop and buy one, plug it in, and then see whether any new or weird devices appear on your computer. And if they don't, that cable's probably okay. The chance that that particular one is going Mm. to be jury-rigged is very low. His idea here is you have these made because you're the hacker type, and then you go and you sneakily drop them in the speaker's lounge at a conference. Or, you know, you put them somewhere where you think, oh, the organisers of the conference kindly provided this, but in fact you didn't. Some guy's attending the conference who thinks it would be very funny to sniff at your device or send you on the wrong Wi-Fi. So you could always just make sure you use your own cables. Yeah. Um, you can get cables that only transmit the voltage. And you can generally see those. If you buy a cheap bike light that's USB chargeable, most of those cables, I presume to save a quarter of a cent, they don't have the data wires in. And when you look in one end, you'll see there are two connectors. I think they're the ones on the outside. And in the middle where the data would normally go, there's just a blank space. And instead of seeing four little connectors inside inside the cable, you only see two. That means it can only charge, there's no data wires. And when you plug it in, no devices will appear. So there, you know that there are no devices hidden inside the little cable. If you carry one of those with you, then you can always 
charge up from other people because you're only letting power in or likewise from your laptop. If someone says, hey, can you give me a charge? You know you're only letting power out. Yeah. The point is you do need a trusted cable of your own before you start. <laughs> the trick here is that someone goes, well, I'm not plugging in that Ethernet dongle. I'm not plugging in that Wi-Fi adapter. I'm not plugging in that weird projector. But what harm can there be in a cable? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, this is where, I mean, you don't really have to be paranoid about these kind of attacks. They're going to be small scale. They are targeted attacks. I mean, this on a wide scale would be caught pretty quickly where some manufacturers just shipping tons and tons of cables with backdoors in them. But yeah, it definitely changes what we think about cables. The, the shrinking of computers, whereas like I thought the Raspberry Pi was mind blowing out how small when that first came out. Yet now you can get very impressive small, you know, system on a chip style things that can fit in a USB cable itself. People just need to know that if it's not your computing hardware, don't really use it. Like just avoid it. In fact, I had a USB drive that was so tiny, 128 gig, and it was so tiny, it was smaller than that little transceiver that you use for a wireless mouse. And I loved this thing, but unfortunately, it was so tiny, I lost it. (laughs) Fortunately, I did have everything on it encrypted, which is another lesson to remember if you're going out. So this is not the end of the world. If you go to Naked Security and search for OMG USB, you'll find in the comments on that article, I've put a series of commands that you can use on Linux, Mac OS, and on Windows that after you've plugged in a, before and after you've plugged in a USB device, if you run these commands in a command window, what you'll see is the devices that it thinks have connected. And when you plug in just a plain old cable, you should get the, the exactly the same before and after. If you don't, then the cable is more than a cable. Now, if it's, you can see it's got a, an HDMI adapter in it, so you can plug it into your, home TV. That's what you'd expect. You'd expect to see a, a video adapter come up in the list. If it's the mouse transceiver that lets your wireless mouse work, you'd expect to see that come up in the list. But if you plug in a plain old cable and you see a new USB 2 hub, and I've seen a new Wi-Fi adapter, then you know that you've mm-hmm. been booby-trapped. So it should be easy if you've got a cable that you're going to take with you on a vacation. It's easy enough just to check beforehand that it's yours. You can make a little mark on it so you know that won't mix it up with anyone else's. Stick to that and you shouldn't be at any risk from this, and you no can matter put, how clever it might sound. You can put all the uh, the links to the articles in the show notes, right? Yes. Duck loves doing that. <laughs> That's about all from us this week. Duck, where can we find you on social media? You can find me at DuckBlog on Twitter. Greg? Uh, not the biggest user of social media, but you can find me on Twitter as at Secbug. Uh, I occasionally cool. go on there and tweet things. Great. I know, right? I'm going to look you up. Yeah. <laughs> Get me on the twit. <laughs> Slide into my DMs. Okay, I'm going to show Of course. <laughs> You're very flirty today, Greg. I'm just in a good mood. I think just hanging out with Duck and you. Yeah. It's, do you mean direct messages or Dr. Martin's? I've but never slid into someone's shoes before. If I could do that, I would be... I mean, that requires some silky smooth... I've got quite small smooth. feet. I have big feet. Ah, uh, tricky. You could slide into my DMs. <laughs> that's not the proposition. Well, that's just... Really that's okay. not the most compelling suggestion I've heard all day. <laughs> I like how you've heard something that was more compelling, though. You've had a good day. <laughs> slide into my Doc Martens. <laughs> um, I'm Anna Brady on Twitter, and we are, of course, at, at Naked Security on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find us on Facebook by searching Naked Security. Please rate and review our podcast. It helps boost us up the charts and allows other people to find us. You can tweet us at Naked Security with suggestions for the podcast or you can email us at tips at savos.com. And until next time, stay, stay secure. secure. You've got to say at the same time. I'd say stay secure. Yeah. Are until you ready? next okay. time, 
Stay, Stay secure. secure.